Well, let me add my welcome back and my nice to meet you to that of Julie and the team. I'm Megan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad to be in God's Word with you today. We are asking God for more of His vision and His love for our kids. We have been looking for six months and asking God for a greater vision and for greater love for our city, for our neighbors, and now you've jumped just into week two of this series for our kids. As I've talked and prayed about being for our kids, I cannot get this one picture from Christmas Eve out of my head. There was a really special moment in one of the services. It was when um, Paul Hargreaves, our director of children's ministries, and his wife Jeannie were up here with a big Christmas present, and they'd invited all the kids forward, and they had said over and over again that what was in that present in, in that present was for everyone. And they said it over and over and over again. And finally the moment came where they opened the present and he pulls out a little manger with a baby Jesus baby doll, you know, inside. And this little two year old runs up the stairs and stands at Paul's feet like this. And she stood there for like a solid minute while Paul just tried to press on. She wasn't having it. She just stood there until Paul finally handed her the little baby Jesus. And then she just stood rocking it. Isn't that the sweetest? I tell you what, I was sitting next to her mama and this is a proud mama moment. (laughs) That little girl is easy to love, isn't she? What I didn't capture on camera were the other kids who were not as excited that this was the only girl who got to hold baby Jesus. And so long after Paul and Jeannie were done, they were staying on the stairs protesting and crying that they wanted to hold baby Jesus. How do you think their parents felt in that moment? Yeah, not quite the same as this little girl's parents. Well, our prayer is that we would be a church that loves not only the quiet, but the crying, and not only the patient, but the envious. And I know that you all have plenty of kids of your own, uh, little ones and adult kids, friends, and family that, man, you would give anything if they would just stand patiently and wait for Jesus. Am I right? But we as a church know that uh, so many of us are plagued with really difficult and hard circumstances particularly around kids. And so I just want to apologize up front. I am not going to, in this message, attempt to give you the five core strategies of parenting difficult kids that's going to change everything from this point forward, okay? I'm not capable of that. I'm not going to even try. I know these issues are complex. We do want to help you. Um, We do have a parenting class coming up next month. If you were to come to celebrate recovery, you would find a lot of parents in similar circumstances, especially in our men's anger group and our codependency and life wounds. You would find good company. So don't be on your own. But my ambition this morning is to ask God to give us a greater vision for what it looks like as a community to come alongside those who feel like they are just surviving parenting. And for all of us, parents and those coming alongside alike, to experience more of God's love in the midst of difficult parenting. I think God wants to give us a greater vision than we already have. 
The Bible is full of great and practical advice for everyday life. It's not like a textbook where you're going to find a a header that says surviving parenthood and you can just read that and check the box. Instead, the Bible is a series of stories. Some of those, those stories are of parents and those surviving parenting and those in the community alongside those surviving parenting. But each of those stories is couched within a greater story that is one epic story that continues today of a God who loves us and whose desire is nothing more than to be with us in the midst of difficult circumstances now and to be with us forever. And so this morning, I want to remind you of one of those stories in the Bible of a not-so-perfect dad who experiences the power and the love of God in the midst of his difficult life. And I'm praying that we as a community will also, alongside him, experience more of God's love, who loves us anyway and all the way. So let me pray for us as we open God's word. Heavenly Father, I ask that your Bible would come alive to us today. Would this story be fresh to us because it is our own story? Would we once again become familiar with you, the God who loves us and is always making a way for us to be with you? In Jesus' name, amen. So our story today, I'm, I'm reading from 2 Samuel 18. Um, that is in, in your pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 270, or you could just search for 2 Samuel 18. But let me summarize a ton of story that leads up to this moment, okay? So we are reading about a dad named David. He became a dad at 30. He became a king at 40. At 50, the proverbial stuff hit the fan in his family life. At 55, he had midlife crisis. And the next 10 years of his life was the outworking of really a lot of negative things that happened because he chose God's way, or he chose his own way instead of God's way. And let me just settle us all in. He's more imperfect and comparatively your life is easier, okay? So you can just settle back in and uh, and appreciate David's story. Um, David's uh, pivotal crisis moment in parenting uh, came with his third son, Absalom. David's a dad you're going to be able to relate to. He uh, was really good at his work where he was confident At home, he was not so confident, and his passive nature really wreaked havoc in Absalom's life. A lot of Absalom was reflected back in David. Absalom was a great leader, proved himself capable of leading a country like David. He also looked a lot like David in his younger years, where he was a man of really decisive action and justice that David seemed to have lost the fervor for over the years. And all the flaws within Absalom's life, I honestly think David could take a lot of responsibility for in his parenting. And so this crisis moment happens where Absalom leads an insurrection against his dad, leads an army into the city, kicks David off the throne, out of his home. David leaves the city weeping, and then Absalom sends an army out with the intent to kill David. 
And this moment that we're reading about in 2 Samuel 18 is the moment where David is waiting to hear from the battlefield what happened with his son Absalom. How is David going to be able to love his son when his son is trying to kill him? He tries one way. He tries to tell his generals to be gentle with the boy, Absalom. The generals are not gentle. And when they meet Absalom in the battlefield, David's top general kills Absalom. And here's the moment where he gets that news. In 2 Samuel 18, verse 31, hear the word of the Lord. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Let's just pause there a moment. What is that emotion that David is expressing? Grief. What else? Regret. Anything else? Sorrow. Anger. I wonder if any of you could identify with those feelings, if you can connect with that. Gratefully, I couldn't think of any of you who could connect exactly with David's story. You probably don't have a son who rose up an army against you, kicked you out of your home, and then is pursuing you with intent to kill. At least as far as I know, none of you are royalty, though you could be hiding among us. I don't know. But I know because of the brokenness of the world that you probably can identify with something in David's story. Who among us hasn't done battle with somebody close to us? Hasn't had a kid or a friend turn on us? Hasn't felt like we wish this person that we loved would just have made different choices? I think on that Christmas Eve night, there were only three of us in the room who knew the story behind the little girl, knew what was happening, me, her mom, and Melody McKinnon. Five years ago, I think it's five years ago, I met, I met the mom. It was a Thursday night. It was after five o'clock, which is significant because we take a sabbatical as a staff, a Sabbath, every Friday. We close the building. So I was one of the only ones left in the building on a Thursday night. And this young woman showed up living out of her car with her dog, and I could tell she just wasn't okay. So I did my best to follow the protocol of our Titus ministries. Titus is a ministry that we have that meets the immediate needs of people in our community. And so I used the money, the resources that you give to Titus, and we put her up in a hotel um, down the road. 
And I also, I had forgotten this part of the story, but Melody reminded me this week. I invited her to church that Sunday. I knew there was an event going on with a lunch, and so I knew we could feed her if she came back. And so I said, you know, it's Thursday, I'm heading home, but if you'll come back on Sunday, I'd love to have lunch with you. And that invitation really mattered to, to Shelby. And so she and I sat down and had lunch, and I was able to connect her with Melody McKinnon because Melody has a reputation for being an incredible advocate for people in crisis. She's not afraid of people who are in trouble. And so we met her, and then she disappeared. And Melody kept praying for her, kept texting her, kept reaching out, and occasionally she would get something back. Well, Shelby resurfaced recently. She had um, come to faith in Texas and had moved back home, and this time as a mom. And so on that Christmas Eve, that was the first time I had seen her in years, all those years. And I shared with Shelby what I'm sharing with you, made sure I had her permission to do that. And she said, make sure that you tell them how much I love you and Melody. You know, sometimes when you meet people, you just have a divine sense that you personally were meant to love them. I can't explain that. That doesn't happen with every person I meet. I'm kind of glad it would be overwhelming. But I think you all probably have had that experience where you meet somebody and you're like, they're just supposed to be in my life. And that was the case with Shelby. And so that Christmas Eve night, when we made the announcement that all the kids were invited to come forward, that we had a special message for them, Shelby, sitting with Melody, ran out to the nursery to get Bailey because if we were offering something to the kids, she wanted Bailey to have it. So by the time she got back in, Bailey had to sit way on the outskirts of the kids. So when Paul opened up that present and said, this is for you, Bailey weaved her way up all of the kids to stand and to wait for Paul to give it to her. Me, sitting on the front row, I could, hold the, I could not hold back the tears. Because if there were ever somebody that I wanted to know from two-year-old on, that God gave a present to her in Jesus, that the only thing she had to do to receive Jesus was to hold him. Man, I wanted it to be this little girl. If this was the only encounter she was going to have with us, I wanted her to know that we gave her Jesus. And if I felt like that so much about a girl I just met, how much more? Those of us who are close friends, parents, grandparents, adopted aunties and uncles, how much more do we long for those who are making the choices we wouldn't make? who are running far, how much more do we want them to know that we would love them anyway, all the way? But how do we do that? How was David going to get to the point where of all that had happened with his son Absalom, that the last words he would say about his son were, would that I would have died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Well, the Bible tells us two things. It repeats twice something about David. God says twice that this is a man after my own heart, a man who will do all my will. And generations later, a son would be born into the family line of David who would be given the title, the son of David. 
He would be the rightful king, not only over Jerusalem, but over the whole world. He would be the one who was truly the man after God's own heart, who would be called the son of God, the one who could completely fulfill the will of God. And his name was Jesus. And it would not be too far for me to put the words into Jesus's mouth. Oh, my son. Oh, my daughter. My son, my daughter, would that I would have died instead of you. These are the kinds of things Jesus said. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. It was said of Jesus that while we were dead in our transgressions and sins, Christ died for us. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. This is the love that God has for you. And so David was able to love his son Absalom to the point of saying, would that I would have died instead of you. Because David perfectly, as an imperfect dad, perfectly reflected the heart of God who loves anyway and all the way, who loves you. I love 1 Corinthians 13 describes the love of God. It says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. When I recite that at a wedding, I always turn on the sarcasm right after that and say, so this is the perfect love you all have in your marriage. Because I'm sure that all of you here who are married were perfectly patient with one another on your way here. You were not irritable at all about your plans yesterday, and you cannot remember the last time your spouse wronged you. Am I right? Of course not, right? This is not describing the perfect love that is accessible suddenly, magically within marriage. This is the perfect love that God has for you. This is God's heart for you. This is how he loves the rebel. This is how he loves the running away. This is how he loves the addicted, the betrayer, the achiever, the deceiver, the proudful, the boastful, the one who kicks out the rightful place of the father. This is God's perfect love. He loves anyway, all the way. This is how he loves you. This is how David loved Absalom. And this is incredible, impossible love that could only be accessed because God loves us and died instead of us. Oh, would that I would have died instead of you, says David. And so says Jesus, who died for you. He went to the cross for you so that he could bear, love bears all things, right? So that he could bear on the cross the trickle-down effect of all of the bad choices that you have made. 
to bear on the cross all the trickle-down effect of the ways in which you were parented imperfectly. To bear on the cross all of the ways that we find it impossible to love those around us. He died and was separated from the Father so that we would never have to know that kind of separation from God. He died in our place because of his great love for us. And so all we need to do to accept the love of God, it has already been given, it has already been won, is to say to God, I need you to love me anyway, all the way. I got good practice with that this week. Don't you love when God wants you to practice what you preach? And so I was having, find it an impossible to love without being irritated this week. And that's okay. And so wouldn't you know it that I sat down and got quiet and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Meg, just tell me to love you. And so I said, God, I need you to love me anyway, all the way. And he was so good to answer that prayer. And so I just want to pause and allow you to pray like a kid. When we teach our kids to pray, we ask them to repeat after us so that they learn how to talk to God. So I want you to pray that prayer with me. Just repeat it after me. God, I need you. God, I need you to love me anyway. All the way. And maybe that's all you need from this morning is the prayer, God, I need you to love me anyway, all the way. But I want to go one step further because I believe that God is calling us as a community to love our kids anyway, all the way. I think that God is going to give us a vision for what it looks like if we would lay down our lives for our kids. Maybe that's already really clear to you, what it looks like for you to love anyway, all the way. There's all those phrases from 1 Corinthians 13, and maybe one of them just struck at you, and you thought, gosh, yeah, I found it impossible to love that way. And so I want to encourage you in a practice of confession. It's hard to begin to say, hey, will you forgive me? But it opens a beautiful floodgate of love and confession. And so maybe you want to take one of those phrases and go back to a kid, someone else you're parenting with, someone you love, a close friend, and say, hey, would you please forgive me? I found it impossible to love you this way without being irritable or whatever. Would you forgive me? I'm asking God to give me more of his love that isn't irritable. And it's beautiful what God can reconnect in that confession. And that would be a beautiful for you to walk away as an individual, growing in love for our kids. But I want to think in the greater sense of who we are as a community and what it looks like for us to love our kids. I think that we have room to grow in loving all our kids anyway and all the way. I asked our children's ministry staff to think with me about what are the pivotal crisis parenting moments hitting our community. And this was the list that they gave me. They said solo parenting, lacking support because of dispersed families, children with anxiety, boundaries with technology, Overscheduling in sports and activities, 
engaging with children on spiritual matters, having patience and understanding with kids on the spectrum or ADD and being advocates for them, and being on the same page with the spouse on parenting in many ways. Is that a pretty exhaustive list? Catch a couple things going on in your life? Well, what I'm wondering is what does it look like for us as a community to come alongside people who are surviving parenthood so that they would not only get through it, but experience more of God's love in the midst of the difficult circumstances. Remember, that's the overarching story of God. That's what he's about, about convincing us, showing and demonstrating his love to us in the midst of life so that we can be with him now and forever. So how can we help people who are walking through barely surviving parenting? I don't have the answers. I'm really curious. We are just getting going in the series, and I think that God has some vision that he wants to give to us. We have some tangible things. Lori, or, um, Lori, Julie brought up the Northwest Furniture Build, that you can go and help families, dispersed families, settle in. You can help and love our kids that way. And this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And Kathy Lee is at the wood wall with CareNet bottles. And that goes to fund families that are in moments of unexpected and crisis pregnancy. You are loving and supporting kids before they even come into the world by supporting CareNet. I am I'm dreaming and visioning as we plant a church in Port Orchard. What does it look like for us to bring a lead volunteer on the team who will lead a team of people to love kids in all these circumstances. What is that going to look like for us? And so I think this moment, this morning, right now, could be a holy moment where we ask God to give us more of his love and more of his vision for how we are going to love our kids. And so I'm going to ask in a moment for some of you to stand. Um, If you are new here, I just want to let you know we don't do this every week. And I don't want you to feel called out or uncomfortable. But you are totally welcome to jump in with us um, in in this this prayer that I want to ask God for. And so I want to ask you to stand if you are a parent with kids in hard circumstances and you want more of God's love for your kids to love them anyway and all the way. If that's you, would you please stand? Thank you. I was emotional because I know some of your stories. Thank you, Lord. And if you are a part of this community and you sense God calling you into service of those kids who are in difficult circumstances and to come alongside those parents. If you want more of God's love and vision for how to come alongside those parents, would you please stand? Okay. See, parents, you are not alone. We are going to vision this with you. And so I want to ask you to pray with me. And I want, I've, you're, you're already uncomfortable because you're standing up. It's a thank you. This is not going to be that much harder. I want to ask you to raise your hands as if you're going to receive a present from God, the way that Bailey raised her hands. And would you pray with me? God, we're asking for more love from you. We're asking for more love for our kids. Holy Spirit, would you fill us with love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. We find that kind of love impossible on our own. Thanks be to God. We are reminded that we are human and that we need you. 
And so, Holy Spirit, would you please fill us with all of your love to overflowing? And would you give us as a church a vision for what it looks like to love all our kids anyway and all the way? And so I pray, especially for those who are standing, Lord, would you give them vision, dreams, ideas for what it looks like for us as a community to love to love anyway, all the way. This is your heart. And so would we reflect the heart of God, our father in Jesus name. Amen.